Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. section of scripture if this righteous scarcely be saved where shall the ungodly and sinner appear wherefore let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing as unto a faithful creator and those four points include number one it's not unusual for believers to suffer persecution for their faith in Christ but that's really not something that we are too overwhelmed with in our country if you live in a, another country and you name the name of Christ, you'll probably be persecuted a whole lot more than you will in this country. And so for that reason, we have a lot to be thankful for. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. Amen. But it's not strange, it's not unusual that we suffer persecution for the name of Christ. Paul the Apostle was told right at the very beginning of his ministry, you're going to suffer many things for my name's sake. So Christian suffering persecution is proper. It's understood. Jesus said himself, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So as a Christian, we're going to suffer persecution. And that's just the bottom line. But then secondly, it's important to know that it's not persecution if we're reaping the results of some sin that we've committed. If we've done something wrong, some wrongdoing, and we experience the results of that, that's not persecution. Remember the man that was healed who was lame and Jesus said to him in the temple, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come on you. It wasn't suffering for a Christian, for being a Christian, it wasn't suffering persecution. That would be suffering for a wrongdoing. In other words, what you sow is what you reap. And so we recognize that to be a truth of Scripture as well. So that's number two he's talking about. And then number three, he's talking about suffering persecution to cause us to be ecstatic. Joyful, rejoicing. Does that sound right to you? Remember the apostles in the book of Acts, how they were either beaten, whipped, threatened, and all that? And they just went on their way rejoicing that they were able to suffer shame for his namesake. That some, sometimes just doesn't register, does it? Be joyful, rejoice, and be glad. Think about that mentality just for a moment. You know you're walking with God. You know you're serving God like you should. And now you get persecuted. Not for wrongdoing, but for honoring the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You were singled out. You're persecuted. And they rejoiced all the more. Because to them, that was an honorable thing. What kind of mentality is that? Whether they were whipped beaten, put in prison, whatever it was. They rejoiced over that. Think about Paul and Silas being in prison because of the gospel. And thinking about 
how they were treated by these individuals for the sake of the gospel. They weren't criminals. They didn't commit murder, rob a bank, or anything of that nature. They were talking about Jesus. And they're thrown into prison, probably facing execution in the morning. What did they do? Prayed and sang praises to God. What kind of a mentality does that take, require? Wow. What I love about that story is that when they got to singing, God got to dancing. And when he got to dancing, the place began to shake. The earth began to quake. And everyone's bands were loose. And they were all set free. Powerful thing, isn't it? Wow. So, when it comes to persecution as a Christian, we should be joyful and we should rejoice. But the last thing I want to extract or unpack from this is judgment begins at the house of God. Say this with me. Judgment begins with me. It does. The house of God. Look at Matthew's gospel. Since we know that, since that's been revealed to us, look at chapter 7 beginning at verse 1 because these scriptures are so important to us if we really acknowledge the fact that judgment begins with me. It begins in the house of God. Judge not that ye be not judged. Anybody here want to be judged? Uh, you're going to be judged. But if you don't want to be judged, then what? Judge not. Don't judge anybody else. So if we don't judge anybody else, then we're not going to be judged. He goes on to say, why? For with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why do you behold the mote that is in your brother's eye, but consider not the beam that is in your own? Or how will you say to your brother, let me pull out the mote out of your eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hip hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of your brother's eye. What a section of scripture. Wow. In our vernacular, we would say it this way. Your brother has a toothpick and you've got a telephone pole. And you're, you're more concerned about the toothpick than you are than the telephone pole in your eye. It's easy to point out and see someone else's fault, right? And not to see our own. So how many of you know that right now, I believe that Jesus is saddling his horse. Amen. And it's getting closer and closer and closer to his coming. It's imminent. We know that. Could be soon. Could be in our lifetime. But we know that he's coming soon. We know that he's getting things ready to come. Because 2,000 years have come and gone. And we can't get in all the details of the rapture of the church and Daniel 70 weeks and all that sort of thing. But we just know we can sense it. We know that it's getting closer and closer and closer. And so we know this. And we also know that if we know he's coming soon, he's going to prepare the bride. He's going to prepare the church. Because he's coming for a church without what? Spot or wrinkle. Right? He's coming for a church that's pure and holy. He's coming to take us unto himself to be with him. And so obviously... Knowing this, he's going to make preparation in the church for his coming. Yes, there's going to be a, an outpouring of his spirit. There's going to be manifestations of his glory. There's going to be people just being harvested in like never before in this last outpouring of the spirit. But it's going to take place within churches that really believe it's time 
to take heed to what he's doing in the earth at this hour and get our hearts right and ready for this outpouring of his spirit. No more playing church, but truly saying, you want a place to manifest yourself? It's right here among us. We will knit our hearts together in love. We'll mind the same thing, speak the same thing. We'll care for each other in brotherly love. We'll walk in righteousness, holiness, godliness, and truth. We'll create a habitation for you in this place, praise God, like never before, so that when you appear and manifest yourself and your fire falls, it'll impact the entire locality around us. We're here to honor you, to lift you up, to magnify and glorify you. We're here to evangelize the world around us. We're ready for it. But to prepare us, we've got to be ready individually and collectively as a church body. If God is going to judge those that are on the outside, it's important to know that he's going to begin by judging those on the inside. In the house first and then outside the house. So it begins with us. It begins with the church. Judgment begins in the house of God. And we know that is what Peter was saying to us. Well, Jesus, when he was here on earth, first thing he did was in his ministry was cleanse the temple. The last thing he did before he left the earth, he cleansed the temple. I think there was a message in doing so, don't you? He's coming for a church that's pure. So he cleansed it. He got rid of all the religious traditions and all the hypocrisy that was taking place and said, look, my father's house is not a house. It's not a den of thieves. It's a house of purity, prayer, power, and perfected praise. This is my father's house. And he was zealous as far as the house was concerned. He was concerned very much about cleansing it so it's pure and holy. Because our God is pure and holy. Well, when it comes to judgment beginning at the house of God, what is it talking about? What does it really mean? Have you ever really considered that? You can say it this way. Discipline begins in the house of God. Discipline begins in the house of God. You know, we've seen a lot get into the church. Why? Because of a lack of discipline and just exposing everything that's out there and bringing it into the church. Well, discipline means that as disciples of Christ, we're making a decision to crucify the flesh and let God have his way among us. That we're going to walk disciplined before him. Also, accountability. It means accountability begins in the house of God. We're going to be accountable. You see, God's calling is a high and holy calling. And it doesn't matter what we've been called to do. Rather than having this flippant attitude toward what my ministry might be, it's an attitude that says, I'm accountable to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm accountable to the living God. I'm accountable to work for him in such a way so as to let him know that I honor him. I acknowledge who he is. I acknowledge his gifts, his talents and abilities. I don't belong to myself. I belong to him. And I must be accountable for all that he's invested in my life. And it doesn't matter how big, how small it might be, but God wants us to be accountable. So accountability begins where? In the house of God. Am I being responsible 
you know, with what God has given me. It could be your time, your talent, uh, your energy, your, your money, your finances, whatever, your support of his work. But I want to be accountable to God. We all need to be accountable to someone. And being accountable to God, I think, is the best thing we could possibly do. What about you? But then it's also what a holiness begins where? In the house of God. Be ye holy, for I am holy, he said, right? Well, we know that holiness, godliness, they're positional and practical. The positional means in Christ, you are holy. In Christ, you are righteous. In Christ, we have godliness in Christ. That's our position. But the practical application of that means I must work out my own salvation with fear and trembling and let that manifest in my behavior, my conduct, my character, my words, etc., etc. So God wants me to be accountable. God wants me to be holy. God wants us to be disciplined people so that we walk in obedience to his word, his will, his way, and not our emotional feelings and desires. And then also it's talking about integrity. You know, those that are walking close to God are those that are people who are of integrity, those who swear to their own hurt and they change not. That's a characteristic of someone who is walking in, in integrity. God is a God of integrity. God backs up everything he says in his word with actions. And God wants the church to be that way as well, that we're people of integrity. So walking with God means walking in this place of surrender to him completely giving ourselves over to him. And also, it's talking about justice. When we think about justice, God's a God of justice. He's a just God. He's a just judge. And we should walk in the same way. We should be just in all of our attitudes, our actions, our behavior. And it's lined up with the word of God, not with what we think, not what we feel, but that's how justice operates. God is a just God. You realize that anything and everything that we ever get rewarded for on the other side in glory is going to be absolutely just in the sight of Almighty God? We're all going to have it because he's a just God. He, judge, he judges the hearts of men. He knows the actions of men. He knows what's in the heart of a man. And everything and everything that we get, trust me, is, is going to be accurate because he's a God of justice. But then also, he's a God of moral morality and moral responsibility on our part. God wants us to be people of morality, moral responsibility. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We see so much happening in the world today that um, you kind of wonder, where's the church? Where's our position on the things that are taking place? What's our attitude towards these things? But look at, look at the situation here. Talking about judging it is reported commonly that there's fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have, no, have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have, what, is he, what did he do? Judged already, as though I were present. Concerning him that had so done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved or may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What a powerful statement. The man wouldn't judge himself. And it's easy to get to that place that you just don't judge yourself. And when he was told about what he was doing was wrong, he still wouldn't judge himself in that regard. 
And so Paul says, look, you can't have that. A little leaven leavens up the whole lump. You can't have that. So this man that's not listening to the truth, who's not walking with God and refuses to be obedient to do what God has told him to do, you need to excommunicate him from the church. Turn his flesh over to Satan for his destruction. Excommunicate him from the church. Not because they were awful people, not because they were mean, but because of his own eternal well-being. If that man would have stayed that course, he probably would have been lost to eternity. The man... Then, because he was turned over to Satan for his flesh to be destroyed, is no longer concerned about satisfying his physical needs. And now what happens? He repents. And you'll see in 2 Corinthians, that's exactly what he does. But if he would have judged himself, he would have never gone to that place where he had to be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Judgment begins in the house of God, and judgment begins with you. It begins with me. It's really asking God to shine the light of his scrutiny upon our lives and just say, what are some of the things that I really need to do so I can have a closer walk with you? What can we do as a church to invite a greater presence of you among us? We want all that you have. We don't want to play church. We want you in our midst. A holy, righteous God manifesting himself among us so that your ways... Your will, your work, is at the forefront of our minds. That's what we want. So when it comes to living our lives to glorify God, that's where judgment begins. Am I living my life to glorify God? Am I giving him my time, my talents, my abilities, anything that he's invested in me to advance his kingdom? Do I have a hunger and thirst to see lost people saved? Do I come to church only because uh, I think it's the right thing to do? Or am I really engaged with God? Do I really want to see God manifest himself among us? Do I really want to participate with other believers by adding what I have been given by God to the work of God? so as to create even a greater habitation for God in the Spirit. Now, when I first got saved, you couldn't keep me out of church. Am I faithful to pray, let's say, for the lost, or for the will of God to be done? These are some of the things that we'll be judged for when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, if we judge ourselves now, we won't be judged. Think about it. If we don't judge other people, we won't be judged. Why am I direct going in this direction? Because I really believe that God is speaking to us in the earth today, the church, the body of Christ, in such a way so as to capture our attention. The days of playing church are about to end. There's coming a separation of the wheat and the chaff. And what he wants is people that are sincere and genuine and are really looking for his appearing. So humble before God that it's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me. Anything I have all came from you. Anything, everything is dedicated to you. Look at Matthew 21. This is the second time that Jesus cleansed the temple. 
And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. This was going on for years. This was commonplace. It was so commonplace, it was accepted by the people that it's the right thing to do. You see, you can get to a place that you get so complacent in what's going on that you think, well, that's just, okay, it's the right thing to do. But no, Jesus goes into the temple. He overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. They didn't do that. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were so excited that they began to join with him. Oh, they were sore displeased. You mean when they saw the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk, they were displeased? Yeah, because that's not what they were used to. They were just used to making money on selling their animals. And so they were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were sore displeased and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? They were offended. And Jesus said to them, Yeah. Have you never read out of the mouth and babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. So the house of the Lord, he is saying, is a house of number one, what? Purity. Purity. Where hearts are pure, where motives are pure, where desires are pure. When people say, this is not a job for me, this is not an obligation for me, but this is a joy for me to gather together with other believers and create a habitation for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to appear among us every time we gather together. I'm coming to pour myself out as a sacrifice to give myself to you, Father, to be used by you to advance your kingdom here in this earth. Your house is a house of purity. I judge myself on certain things. And, you know, I really wanted us to do this tonight. Just really get before God and just seek his face and just say, okay, I'm ready. Take over in my life. Show me some things I need to deal with. Whether it's my mouth and, and, and not watching the words that I speak or being critical about other people, and et cetera, et cetera. Show it to me. Because I mean business with you, Lord. I want the best that you have. I want to give myself to you the best way I can. So it's a house of purity. It's a house of prayer. I'm praying daily for the salvation of the lost. I'm praying daily, praise God, that your will is being done in earth as it is in heaven. I am praying that you manifest your glory, not for selfish reasons, but because this is your kingdom. This is your work. This is how you capture the attention of people that are out there. We want you to move in a powerful and glorious way in our communities around about us. This is how it's going to happen. God is going to so manifest himself. It's not going to take as much preaching because they're going to see God mightily at work. They're going to come out like the charismatic movement out of traditional churches and enter into a place where they have a reality with God. And that's exactly what God is doing. He's preparing to do here in the earth, wherever people say, I want to honor you in this place. I'm not concerned about the time. I'm not concerned about the ritual. I'm not concerned about whether I sang on key or whatever. I want you. I want you to show up 
manifest your presence among us and have your way. That's what I want. It's a house of power. The power of God so on display that when people walk in, you don't have to lay hands on them. They just get healed. They get set free. They get delivered because God is in the house. The healer is in the house. We so magnify the healer, Jesus, who has arisen with healing in his wings, that he just shows up and manifests his power and delivers and sets the captives free. Where people that are addicts can just walk in as an addict and walk out, praise God, completely free. Completely delivered. When, you see, when, when God manifests himself that way, you're going to see some things happen. There's going to be such, we're not concerned about church growth as we are the salvation of lost humanity. But they will go hand in hand. People are going to just know God. Hallelujah. And then it's a house of, are you ready for it? Perfected praise. Perfected praise. Praise that is so mature. It's not a forced praise. It's a praise that rises up within the soul of a person who knows the goodness of God. I will bless you at all times. Your praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make her boast to the Lord and the humble will hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Oh, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Hallelujah. Amen. See, judgment begins first at the house of God. God deals with his people first. If my people that are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Did you get that? Who's he talking to? His people. I would hear from heaven. I would forgive their sin and I would heal their land. He starts with the people. He starts with his house and then he manifests himself. So if we'll humble ourselves, if we'll pray, if we'll seek his face and then turn from wicked ways means repent, repent from the heart. It could be just repenting for just, let's just say, not being as zealous as we once were for the things of God. Just going to church with, with a lackadaisical attitude like I just need to go there because I need to go there, whatever. You no, know, I want to see God. I want to know him. I want to give myself completely to him. Oh, praise God. It starts with the church. And I'm going to throw a statistic out there that um, could be alarming. God's house is not a house of social activity or religious traditions or traditions of men or entertainment. It's a house of purity, prayer, power, and perfected praise. And God's going to have to deal with God is dealing with the people within the house before he starts Dealing with people outside the house. You know how long it took to get Roe v. Wade overturned? A long time. You know why, don't you? Because believers weren't sincere. It would have never happened if believers were sincere in the beginning. But look at the statistics I put there from this survey. When it comes to abortion... 43% of aborting women identify as Protestant. 27% identify as being Catholic. 70% in the United States. 
This is why we think we've got to picket all these abortion clinics. We've got to picket the church. Did you hear that? We've got to go to the churches. That's... I've been, I've been floored sometimes talking to believers and saying that they, they feel that it's okay. Think about it. Or it's a minor issue. I've been told that. It's a minor issue. Abortion's a minor issue. Jesus came for life. He came to save life, not destroy it. The thief steals, kills, and destroys, but Jesus came to save life. What's more innocent? than a life in the womb. And, and you think about the fact that I know women will say something like this, it's my body. No, it's not. It may be your body, your body, but that baby's body is that baby's body, not your body. And that baby has a right to live. And since that baby cannot defend himself or herself, then that baby needs you and that baby needs me. And when we look at these things from a lackadaisical attitude and just say, well, who, who, who cares, whatever. That's what happens. The devil moves in and even believers are siding with it. No, we got to go to the churches and say, wake up. And finally, I think our voice was heard and we start realizing we can get people in offices or positions and Supreme Court justices and that sort of thing and help save human lives. But the church had to wake up. It took a long time to wake the church up. So many even today still say, well, my, count, my vote doesn't really mean anything. Really? If all believers would vote the way we should vote, biblically speaking, we can clean this country up. I'm going to say it one more time. If we as believers would vote our biblical convictions, we could clean this country up. And we could save the lives of these young people. I'll tell you something else. People wouldn't be confused about their identity as well. They would know who they are. They would know their creator. And they would know that they're being deceived by the devil and to think that they're, be, they're someone that they're not. Imagine this one, this one guy who was so heartbroken, so heartbroken over the fact that his little girl sat on his lap, loved her, raised her, trained her. And when she became 21... She decided that she was a man. Had her breast removed. And went through the whole process. And this guy is just sitting there like. And society says, well. It's okay. What's the matter with that picture? When a society sighs with it and says. You could put a leash around your friend and walk them through the halls of the school because they're a dog. There's madness going on in our world. Think about it. Is that really something that we should embrace? Those people need help. And they're not getting it. What's happening is their people are having them embrace it rather than say, wake up. Wake up. Beloved, it's the church. If the church doesn't get involved, then shame on the church. Shame on us. We need to help these people that are in need of help. 
and let them know you're being deceived by a devil and now your, your whole body is just all tore apart. And that guy doesn't have a daughter anymore. He doesn't know what he has. And he's heartbroken over it. But that's okay. Judgment will begin at the house of God. If we want judgment to fall on those without, then we've got to know that it's going to fall first right here on us. It's time for us to pick up this book and find out what is in it. Amen. I told one couple, I don't know why we're getting off on this, but we're meddling and I'm just not going to stop. I told one couple, well, as a matter of fact, they actually called me under the car because they, they were offended by the fact um, that I made mention of homosexuality. I just read scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Read it in the Amplified Bible. And so when, when I finally had a conversation with this, this couple, they said they didn't even know that it was wrong according to the will of God. They didn't know the Bible taught anything about it. You see, when we start living our lives apart from this book, then it's our will, it's our way, it's our works, it's what we want. It's our feelings, it's our emotions, it's our desires. You know what God is saying to us? Get back here. Open up this book. Can you pull those scriptures up? 1 Corinthians 6. 9 through 11 in the uh, New Living Translation. It's not me. It's Bible. It's God. We didn't create ourselves. He created us. He governs our lives. He rules our lives. Not us, not our feelings, not our emotions. And it's just time that we get bold. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And it's sad that when you're in a, a society where you, you could preach the Bible, but then they, they don't want to hear what the Bible says. You were cleansed. You're made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you preach it, then you get criticized like you're, we're not condemning anybody. We love everybody. We're just letting you know what the Bible says. And your eternity is at stake. Your eternity. As a matter of fact, contrary-wise, we love you more. Because, you see, just satisfying your temporal need on this earth and ushering you into an eternity of suffering in the lake of fire is not loving you. But letting you know there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and there's a path to follow. It's the blood of Jesus paved in his own blood so we can make it to eternal glory. Look at this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Here, this, the man that was living with his stepmother was turned over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh 
so that his spirit would be saved. In 2 Corinthians, he's reinstated. He repented and he got healed. Not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world works death. For behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Look, this is important right here. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did not... I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. The man was restored. He was then brought back into the church. But the judgment that fell upon him was for his eternal safety. And so as a result, he repents. He turned from that wicked way. And then he comes back to God. He's restored. He's reconciled to God. He's reinstated. He's also reconciled, I'm sure, with his father. And the list goes on and on. But notice those statements that were made about someone who has true sorrow and repents with godly sorrow. It wrought within him a vehement desire, an indignation. You know what I was saying? It did a work inside that person's life that said, you devil, I'm so upset with you for trying to get me off course with God that I'm going to take the bull by the horns and I'm going to stand firm in my conviction of faith. I am going to walk all over you. I'm going to rise up above all what you've tried to do to me. I'm going to take control of my life by putting Jesus as the Lord of my life. It wrought godly reverential fear in that person to say, hey, this is no small thing here. We're living in the presence of a holy God. And we're walking in the presence of a holy God. So it did a work inside this man that changed him from the inside out that he would no longer live his life that way. But he would live his life to glorify God. We need that in our society today. We need that in our culture today. Look all around us. It's absolutely bizarre. If you can't call your little girl that was born a girl because you have to wait until she says who she is, there is something wrong mentally with people and once again woe unto preachers if we don't preach the truth I mean it in love speaking the truth in love you love people so much that you don't want them lost for eternity and you don't want to appease them by saying it's okay when it's not okay so beloved God is speaking to our hearts tonight. Judgment begins in the house of God. Judgment begins with us individually. If we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. 
How's my walk with God? Am I living my life to glorify Him? Am I consciously aware of the words that I speak? Am I honoring Him with my time, my finances, my talents, my gifts, my abilities? Am I being accountable and responsible, etc., etc., all those things? Am I taking church lightly, or am I really on fire for coming together and lifting up my voice on high and glorifying the God I serve? Tammy, come on. Can we stand before the presence of God?